Welcome to Off Screen. Let's get cinematic on your couch. Hopefully not for too much longer. I'm Bex Perfect. I'm Van Connor. Let's get cinematic, as you say, Bex. So we've got a, a very uh, interesting week this week. It, it's always mm. an odd one. You know, the week before the Oscars is always an odd week for film releases. Like historically speaking, you, you're never going to get like you know an Avengers movie open on on Oscar week, so to speak. But uh, yeah, this one's uh, this one's very interesting. So this week we've got two movies that seem to be like psychological horror tinged thrillers about yeah. sort of you know we're, we're teenage one's a teenage girl another's a woman in her sort of late 20s early 30s so it's definitely a week for female driven psychological horror thrillers i think i'm i'm really glad that i handed over these two movies for you to watch because you know horror is not my thing and to be honest i'm like you take these ones van and you run with them you, you know what horror is not really their thing either they're not really neither's horror in the traditional sense so let's start with black bear which i think black bear is out today on on digital so this is the aubrey plaza one so this is uh, written written and directed i think by uh, lawrence michael levine this has been touted around the sort of fa- festival circuit for about what feels like about a year like most of covid this film's been around now and uh, because Aubrey plaza had happiest season and there's been a couple other little projects of hers in the works at the same time there's been overlap with with a lot of this coverage so this feels like it's sort of fallen between the cracks as it were and this is essentially a two-part festival-friendly psychological horror thriller in which, for the first part, she is a filmmaker who is burnt out due to some sort of work-related pressure. She has absconded to, like, a remote bed and breakfast in the country where she has uh, taken to getting... She's gone there for sort of relaxation, to sort of gather her thoughts, to pause, and she finds her presence disruptive to the young married couple who own the property, who she starts to bond with, and whose presence presence uh, it starts to form cracks in this marriage but for the other part as well she's the actress on the set of one of her own films the filmmaker that she was in the previous iteration she's now the star of her film as it were only now the filmmaker was the husband in the couple in the first part and she's on the other side of effectively the same love triangle i've got a clip for you that sort of sets the tone this is between her in the first part with christopher abbott as the uh, the host owning husband why'd you lie to me about seeing my movies why'd you lie to me about your husband i've been lying since the second i got here my mother's fine well she's a and she's alive she's in wisconsin (laughs) i'm a really good cook um i just have zero interest in having a family i think children are disgusting and as for my scripts I usually start with like a really simple premise, like good triumphs over evil. And um, I stopped getting hired as an actor because I was difficult, obviously. So two things on this. Number one, Aubrey Mm. Plaza, hot property. Oh yeah. So, you know, this is just another testament to that fact. Secondly, it sounds very meta. Um, she's in a movie, she's not in a movie. <laughs> What's going on? Like, how's this working? Or in a movie, in a movie. 
That's the thing. On the one hand, I feel like if they had sensationalised it in that way and actually gone really meta with it, I think the film would have had more character to play with. I think it would have offered more. Um, the film doesn't quite work. It's got the, the filmmaking chops behind it. Uh, Lawrence Michael Levine, who's not really a known commodity as a director who's helmed this, has done a pretty good job in terms of building something that fits within that very A24 friendly horror aesthetic. You know that mm. you, know, you get things like, um, oh, what was the one? Cat not catastrophe. Coherence, I think. Okay, not coherence. Yeah, yeah. There was one a few years ago about the the, the, the the group of friends who were all trapped in a house and they kept walking around the block and coming back on themselves. It feels like it belongs within that pantheon of horror movie or something like It Comes, uh, it comes at Night or something like that. It does feel like it's part of the current conversation as regards low-key character-driven psychological horror films. The problem is you feel like this just would have been a lot more memorable and would have had a lot more to say had they amped up the sensationalist side of it. Yeah. It feels like yet another one of these for Aubrey Plaza where you think this is not the thing that's going to bring you the widespread audience that your fans, myself included, know that you deserve. I know yeah. you can do this because I've seen you do it eight times already. I've seen you do it with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek in Ingrid Goes West. I've seen you do it, you know, as an out-and-out -out comedy that time. I've seen you do it. With, and I've, I've seen so many iterations of this now where it feels like a waste of Aubrey Plaza at this stage. It feels like I know I'm going to slap five stars on this coming out for Aubrey Plaza, probably a three for the actual film. You know, if I'm going to split the difference four and that's about it. But it does feel kind of rote about it. And that's a shame, I think, because she deserves a bigger platform mm. to, to really sort of, you, like you say, make that transition into the real mainstream A-list kind of... Very you know, mumblecore. Yeah, what she's been sort of grafting towards, I think, for a hell of a long time. So I know you've given it maybe a four out of a five, but how does this sit in terms of thumbs? That's more important, obviously. It, it's it's one thumb. It's one out of two thumbs. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, if the, if the movie were marginally better, it'd be one and a half. If Aubrey Plaza were marginally worse, it would be a half. You know, it's, it's a very carefully balanced thumb rating system. Aubrey Plaza's carrying a lot in this film, put it that way. She's a hell of an actress. She really is. She's got yeah. a abundance uh, you know she's just got an abundance of screen charisma she, she always has but yeah. I, I, sooner or later someone is going to find that perfect project for Aubrey Plaza and I mean who knows it might be Guy Ritchie with this Jason Statham action she's doing it might be that we don't know but there needs to be something that shows off Aubrey Plaza as the absolute thunderkind that those of us who sat through all of Parks and Recreation know that she is you know what, Aubrey's agents, if you're listening in, work harder is what we'd say. <laughs> Find her those scripts. Right, moving on to something that, you know, you couldn't think whether or not you'll be scared of this. But you know what, scaredy cats like me might find it just as scary as any other walk outside the house. It's The Fear of Rain, which is the title of our next movie. <laughs> right. This is about? another one. This is another one as well that I just, this is, feels like it's been around for about a year because I think all the talent involved had been banding stuff around social media for the film for about a year, every time it's been at a virtual festival. And in this case, it's been, uh, like uh, you see it 
reposted and reshared from people like Harry Connick Jr., Catherine Heigl, and Madison Madison Iceman, I want to say. Now, the reason you would know Madison Iceman is she's the character in the Jumanji series who gets put into Jack Black's body. You know the vacuous blonde one who's also in Goosebumps 2? Yeah. Yeah, she's she's the star here. She's uh, the young girl who has effectively has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. She's being treated for a serious case of schizophrenia and effectively finds herself in the plot of Rear Window, where she thinks the next door neighbor has a girl chained up in her house that only she can see or see and hear. But every time she tries to, you know, every time she uh, she calls the authorities, they accuse her of crying wolf guess why and it's handled in a very art housey way so they're trying to do it with a little bit of sensitivity so how was your first day back uh, it was great yeah everyone thinks i'm a freak oh i doubt that isn't it cool to be different nowadays not recently hospitalized for psychosis it's like the biggest event of the year for them it's ridiculous i mean everyone knows even my teachers it'll blow over Someone will get a bad haircut or Alexa will make out with someone's boyfriend and they'll forget all about it. No, she just won't talk to me anymore. She's got like cool new friends who love to hear horror stories about hanging out with a crazy girl. Stop calling yourself that. It's like I'm a social currency. So I feel like this is like just one big cliche of a movie. Is it? It 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 absolutely is. It, it yeah. really is. I mean, it's it's you know it, it's 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 a it's a novel enough spin on an old hook. So the old hook obviously is let's do Rear Window again. You know that and, and as a formula goes, Rear Window is a pretty easy one to spin new mileage out of. You just look at something like Disturbia, for instance, that was a decade ago. You know, it, it's easy enough to put new spins on this material. Adding teens and mental health. That's actually a pretty novel spin on it. I wish the film was marginally better, like, you know, in, mm. in a manner that that concept, I think, deserves. I don't think it's as good as that concept deserves. Um, it's a bit middling think- when it comes to building suspense. That's the problem. It's pleasantly enough shot, and this is actress-turned-director Castiel Landon, who has recently taken on not only directing, I think, films three and four in the after series but also uh five and a prequel as well so god help us this this is capably built but it's pretty blandly written and it's pretty disappointingly executed because there's just not enough going for it just keeps going in circles it it makes you want to see the endings Mm -hmm. good enough for you to want to see the ending but it does make you question whether or not you want to stick it out you know with the with the black bear movie you're trying to reference other horror movies where those people mm. that go they leave the house and they walk around and they come back again maybe that's oh, this yeah. film <laughs> again. um so how many thumbs are you going to give this one i feel like this has got slightly less plaudits than you would have given black bear because it hasn't got all three i think, I think they're, they're both one thumb films i think fear, fear of rain is out digitally from monday as well by the way so i think that's the, that the 26th i think that's the 26th on monday but uh so yeah fear of rain is monday but black bear is out from today both on on digital i think black bear edges fear of rain out ever so slightly um but you know what madison iceman best thing about fear of rain she actually actually has got some serious charisma beyond uh the, you know the obvious uh, what you would expect the sort of barbie doll kind of uh bobblehead looks that she's got she actually mm. has i do think de- deceptive dramatic heft i think 
Okay, that's good. That's good to know. You've got some redeeming features. Right, when we come back, we're going to be talking you guys through all of the movies that are on your telly box at the moment. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Off Screen, and as Miss Perfect promised, we're keeping you on the couch for something cinematic courtesy of Freeview, the glorious Freeview Network. 500 channels, never anything to watch, but alas, we shall prove that wrong by selecting one truly great, or at least vaguely fun movie for each day of the next seven, the calendar week. So let's start then with uh, Saturday Night, a movie that I, I love quite dearly, Miss Perfect, I, I don't know. Um, and I think I, this is a movie that I'll bring up a lot in the arguments of sequels that are better than the originals, and no one ever thinks of this one. It is 2008's Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, by Guillermo del Toro. This is on ITV at 10.50 on Saturday night. This is the movie that... This this feels like it came... I think it was said it came about two years too late for the, for the fate of the Hellboy series, or it came two years too early. It just sort of missed out on the MCU wave of comic book popularity. Hellboy returns... And and is forced to take on uh, the scorned prince of the uh, fairy t- of the dark fairy tale kingdom, who has returned from the underground to basically unite the pieces of an ancient crown that will give him control of the golden army, a mythical army of uh, artificially created, like mechanical clockwork beings that will give him dominion over all life, and only Hellboy can stop him. But of course, there's got to be something more to it than that, and it turns out the evil prince has a not-so-evil sister for whom Hellboy's BFF Abe Sapien finds himself falling. And both Hellboy and Abe Sapien find themselves having romantic problems at the worst possible time. Popular love songs? The... Oh, Abe. You fell for the princess? She's... She's like me, creature from another world. You need to get out more. She's alone in the world. I want to help her. I need to care for her. You're in love. Have a beer. Oh, my body is a temple. Well, now it's an amusement park. No, no, no. The glandular balance. Just shut up and drink it, would you? Uh, when I when I first got the list of what was coming on this week, I I very tentatively, as I always have to do with that, is is when it's something. Hellboy or Marvel or something like that. I have to kind of go, so Van, I'm thinking about picking this particular film for the week. Are you going to be happy with it, with a sequel? Because I don't know. You sometimes, you you will go stratospheric over certain sequels that just don't work. And I'm like, we want to recommend something. We don't want to kind of put people off. But I'm pleased to say you love this. You think it's I'm a better? Very big, I'm a very big fan of Hellboy 2. I went to the premiere for my birthday. I think it was my 25th birthday, I think. I went to the, the premiere of Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, with my good friend Lucy. I, uh, I'm a very big fan. I, I think it's a really great movie. I think there's a lot of fun to be had. Seth MacFarlane uh, joins the cast in this one as uh, Johann Schmidt, I believe. And <laughs> what a name. He's, just, he's a lot of fun in there as well. Um, just a, a really good villain in uh, Luke Goss and just some great, uh, you know, great effects, some great creature designs. It's again with the Toro movie, so you know it's going to be made to a certain standard. And of course, he has really great reverence for, uh, for Hellboy, for Mike Manola's uh, original works of Hellboy. And it shows in what I think is a really, really great movie. Um, obviously, the the reboot, well, the 
couple of years later, a couple of years ago now, by Neil Marshall, did not stack up that well. But mm. uh, you know, the less that's that's its own story for another time. And I think uh, the reckoning hopefully has redeemed him somewhat this past week. But on to Sunday then, the twenty fifth, Miss Perfect on ITV four three fifteen in the afternoon. What you got for us? Are you taking us? Are you taking us back in time? Are you taking us to the great beyond, as the case may case may be? Yeah. A little bit of both. Um, <laughs> this is a film that I think is not shown on TV enough. Uh, it isn't, it's one is it? of, no, it's not. It's one of my all-time faves. It's it, and again, I think this is a sequel that is better than the original. Really? Yes, yes. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I mean, this is excellent. The Wild Stallions are back and they are faced with two evil robots, Evil Bill and Evil Ted, and um, who have sent them by Chuck Denomalus to the 20th century. Denomalus. Yeah, that's Yeah, God, I haven't seen this in so long. And they're basically trying to stop the real Bill and Ted from winning a band competition, which will ultimately save the world. Um, I think Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey never gets the credit that it deserves. I think it's a really good movie. I think uh, there was something to do with the fact that because the release of the first movie got delayed by about a year, by the time the first movie opened, it hadn't even hit VHS before I think the sequel uh, arrived in cinema. So there was this feeling, especially on this side of the pond, it was a very rushed sequel. When in fact, I don't think it was. Um, Keanu Reeves himself has been quite down on the film in recent years. But I think it's a pretty good, pretty well-constructed uh, sequel that has a hell of a soundtrack, if nothing else. It follows up its its first movie quite nicely, uh, evolves the characters sufficiently. I think ended the film rather nicely. I love the closing montage. Yeah. You see, you know, you see yeah. generations to come of Bill and Ted and, and what their uh, their contributions to humanity are, even though there's the whole third movie that kind of undoes that now. Um, yeah. Just a but lot you, of fun. Yeah, and you've got the introduction of, like, the iconic character of death, you know, like this is the thing. Like... Exactly. Worth it for death. And that was yeah. and that was such a that was such a nineteen nineties gag of you know what? Okay, we're gonna take a parody of this one famous image because films are starting to get released on VHS now. So a whole generation of film nerds now know what the seventh seal is. So let's yeah. do a parody of that. I guarantee you something ridiculous, like sixty percent of people who know the image of Max von Sydow in the seventh seal know it entirely as because of Bill and Ted's bogus journey, because of being the source think, and inspiration for death in, in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. I think I'm one of those people, you know, like, that's the thing for me. <laughs> the character of death is so iconic in this and so funny. And I think this is a sharper comedy than the first, than The Excellent Adventure. Mm. I think it doesn't, um, you know, it, it gives better sort of character depth, as you've said as well, to not only Bill and Ted, but also the princesses and stuff like that. You know, there's more to it. So you've got more meat to the bone with this. So revisit it it's been a while since we've seen it it should be on tv much much more than it is but enjoy it it's a great afternoon movie there's so many great uh, great moments in it as well i mean say it's bill and ted doing the afterlife i mean the, the ad campaign if i remember correctly famously had the voiceover famously said uh, once they made history now they are history yeah and that was the that was the tagline for it and, you know it, it holds up i love the bit where they're sort of standing before you know the gates of hell and yeah. bill says we got totally lied to by our album covers <laughs> 
I'm just like, yeah, because that was every album cover in about yeah. 1991, which is this depiction of the flaming afterlife. Anyway, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, not on TV, anywhere near enough. Freeview never show. They all show the first one. They never show the sequel. So jump on this rare opportunity that Miss Perfect has found for us to catch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey on ITV4, of all places, on a Sunday afternoon. Worth checking out through. Absolutely. On to Monday night then. Not even Monday night night, but sort of a tea time Monday viewing this one. Pre-Watershed. Pre-Watershed. It's like a 12 rated film, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's talk then. Film four, tea time slot. It's The Martian, Miss Perfect. How much do we love The Martian on this show? Do you know what? I think, you know, it, it, it is one of those movies. And I think we did sort of struggle with Monday because we were a bit like, there's not, <laughs> there's not a huge amount out there. And we wouldn't have necessarily thrown in The Martian again because we have talked about it re- uh, quite recently. But actually, we can give it a little bit more time because it is that brilliant. You know, Matt Damon is a botanist. He gets stranded on Mars. He's going to science the bejesus out of it to, in order mm-hmm. to survive. And this, for me, is just a movie that works in every way, shape or form. It's from Ridley Scott. It's back to his brilliant best. And for a one-man band, essentially, which is holding up this film, Matt Damon is phenomenal. He's 50 million miles away from home. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. I mean, what does that do to a man psychologically? What the hell is he thinking right now? I'm definitely going to die up here. If I have to listen to any more god-awful disco music. My God, Commander Lewis, couldn't you have packed anything from this century? Matt Damon there struggling with, of all things, the soundtrack to his yeah. quest for survival. And, you know, what a soundtrack it is. I don't think I expected to uh, to love that anywhere near as much as I do. Although I do remember you and I going to a screening at Fox once. There was a screening for Martian happening next door, and it was I Will Survive blaring through the building. That was, that was a good afternoon. Uh, so, yes, The Martian. If you've not seen The Martian or if you want to revisit it, it's on like a good time as well. 6.15 on Monday evening on Film 4. Perfect one to whack on the background while you're having tea and you know a perfectly fun uh sciencey adventure thriller to for the whole family i think as well so when we return we're talking rap buyer picks we're talking special effects trilogy closers bond movies and of all things some found footage and now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent, you know that. And you know what? This week we've got a reason to smile, and smile brilliantly indeed, with the uh, the aid of our wonderful sponsors for this week, the good people at Smile Brilliant. And, uh, well, this is, uh, you know, a problem I think a lot of people have, grinding their uh, their teeth in their sleep. Apparently, 40 million people do. 40 million other people, and for a variety of reasons that include stress, anxiety, or abnormal bite. Chronic teeth grinding can lead to worn enamel tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. Are there any other kind of dental procedures but the expensive kind? Indeed. But with our sponsors at Smile Brilliant, they have the number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists, which is a custom-fitted night guard. And unlike you know, the average dentist, where they'll charge you two to $300 per guard and you go through several of them per year, you can use Smile Brilliant's lab direct process to get the same custom Sophisticated night guards for as little as $45 
per guard and they've got everything on there included custom fitted uh, whitening trays and the uh, the carry pro electric toothbrush to go along with them as well and uh, all you need to do for an extra 30 percent off as well is head over to smilebrilliant.com and use off screen at checkout for 30 percent off once again that's smilebrilliant.com and use off screen at checkout for 30 percent off do you know what i think that's a reason to smile bex what do you think absolutely i've suffered with you know stress related sort of you know biting down on my teeth when i'm sleeping things like that and you know anything that you can do at an affordable level to help sort that is going to be a big tick in my book so this sounds brilliant Welcome back to Offscreen. We're keeping you on your couch and we're keeping you in front of your telly box because we are continuing our seven-day guide to everything movies, which are available for you on Freeview. And we've had a good selection to kick off the week, but you know what? The week only gets better, doesn't it, Van? It does for me, but only because I'm going to make you say the title of our next film in the manner in which you just so eloquently and in your perfect estuary accent asked me asked me a moment ago. So would you please, please, Miss Perfect, for for the good listeners at home, tell us the name of the film showing on Tuesday evening on ITV4 at 11.25pm. Oh, goodness me. Of course, it's straight out of Compton. <laughs> <laughs> in a week in a week in which they announce a sequel to Downton Abbey the movie, I love that I have gotten you to say straight out of Compton. <laughs> which is, of course, the very well-received, I think it was 2015, uh, NWA biopic, which starred Ice Cube's real real son, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., as Ice Cube played his own father. It's the story of the highly influential game-changing gangster rap outfit and how they how they rose to power how they got screwed with along the way and how they screwed back whenever they could say this like you believe it man like it's some sunday and you cruising down crenshaw and six four come on say that like you believe it man like it's your words feel this stop playing around loosen the up there you go Cruising down the street in my 6 foot. Oh. Hey, that was dope, eh? It's dope, man. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> you been feeling that, right? Now we only got 59 more lines to punch in. <laughs> but it's all good. We're going to get through it. Let's go on to the next one. Is that the clip that in our entire history of doing off screen has had the most bleeps in it? No, no, I think the one that has the most bleep still belongs to Peter Capaldi in uh, in the loop. <laughs> I think fine. his character fine. of Malcolm Tucker, I think, still holds the record for the most bleeps. I, I think, offhand, offhand. There okay. might be a Nicolas Cage one that tops it somewhere, but you never know. Um, Straight Outta Compton, my, you know, the worst thing I can say about Straight Outta Compton is that it's now been six years and I demand my cinematic shared universe that I was promised out of this because we were supposed be getting spin-off movies about so many rappers based on, on entirely on this and i'd like to point out that that means that there is a lakeith stanfield snoop movie on someone's yeah. shelf somewhere and i need that movie in my life there was a tupac movie wasn't there that came out not so long there after. was and it was terrible it was really oh. terrible I wouldn't say it was terrible. It was watchable, but it was... Uh, do you know what? I thought Jada Pinkett Smith in it was terrible, as in who, who how, how it was portrayed. But um, but yeah, like that's the only one that comes to mind when I think of this. Um, but actually, you know what? Straight Outta Compton, 
wow, what an impact that this had, like a social Good impact. Movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's well constructed, brilliantly cast, brilliantly acted, well worth your time to revisit. I actually revisited this not too long ago, I think over Christmas. And, you know, it feels very, it feels, although it's a biopic, it feels very present, you know, the, the way it's mm. shot, the way it's kind of portrayed for a modern audience works really well. So if you're wanting to re-educate yourself on the world of NWA, the impact that they had at the time, this is the movie to do it for you. Yeah, I mean, if you can find one that is, doesn't come with the uh, the Beats branding before and after as well, because that was a bit patronising during the screening. Also, you notice the movie uh, does shy away from certain topics and subjects would really rather did not get, ever get discussed around them again. And I am thinking specifically of a certain incident involving Dre and D Barnes, which notably does not come up in the film. Funny that. Funny that. Anyway, <laughs> on, to, uh, on to Wednesday night, the 28th. It's on 4-7, 9pm, a movie I adore. And I still think I can make an argument for this being one of the best film trilogies ever. Uh, it is the third installment of the rebooted trilogy that began in 2011. I think it was I think my second week as a film critic I got to review the first one. I've now reviewed all three of these. It's War for the Planet of the Apes by Matt Reeves, starring Andy Serkis as Caesar. Your villain this time around is Woody Harrelson. Steve Zahn joins the cast as Bad Ape. And it is... Caesar the ape going out for revenge when human militants murder his wife and son. Said militants being led by the psychotic The Colonel, played by a shaven-headed, very apocalypse-now-influenced Woody Harrelson. Have you finally come to save your apes? I came for you. For me? that Woody Harrelson in this was just so spine-tinglingly good <laughs> as a villain in this like he is he's got he goes into sort of full natural born killers mode maybe it's the yeah. shaved head again yeah it's so, so there's good a, there's and a wonderful sweaty quality to him isn't there yeah and I know uh, I don't know if it was this film or the one prior to this where there was all this hoo-ha that actually Andy Serkis should have been nominated for Oscars and stuff for you know his performance was it this one or was it the previous one I can't remember I think I think that started with the previous one mm. and, and it carried on through 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 the third one as well but I think that's just always going to be the case as long as Andy Serkis is well, putting yeah. on the mocap suit to be really honest I mean I keep waiting for them to actually properly incorpor- incorporate him somewhere into like the Marvel Cinematic Universe I could see that happening for instance when they get down to doing something like uh, the Fantastic Four actually finally getting sort of Andy Serkis in as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe throwing money at him to be the thing would be yeah. phenomenal I mean could you could you imagine but uh, yeah I mean I think he's great in War for the Planet of the Apes I think Steve Zahn also does a great job as well as uh, as Bad Ape and it's nice to get a bit of work in there for uh, Toby Kebbell as mm. well as, oh yes uh, for, uh, yeah in, in flashbacks as Cobra it's nice to see him back as Cobra as well 
Do you know what though? This is a long, long movie. It's two hours twenty-two minutes, right? So you gotta you don't really feel it so much though, because there's a lot going on. It's a pacey movie, I think. Yeah. I wasn't as big a fan of this one as I was the pre the, the one that sits in the middle. I think that sort of mm. for for a middle movie, it's like the middle child. It kind of it it does it, do, it goes against the grain of what you'd expect the middle movie to do, like setting up the the, the end of the trilogy, but Actually, the middle movie for me was a hell of a lot stronger. But uh, I can see where you're coming from because the Apes trilogy, this Apes trilogy, does follow sort of the Nolan Batman formula. You've got the actiony one to begin with. You've got the the really deep introspective one in the middle, and yeah. then you've got the, the sort of warm one, that, the the long war movie that has to be a bit pacey. That has to combine the two for the third one. And I think that that's where sort of even even Christopher Nolan struggled with that on Batman. So it's it's only fair to see the, mm. like the Apes yeah. as well. But yeah, I think that's worth checking out anyway. On four seven. Wednesday night at 9pm. So on to, I was amazed you picked this next one, by the way, Miss Perfect. Well, I picked it's it. one of my favourites. Well, good, because I picked it for you, because nobody does it better. Um, uh. <laughs> this is on ITV4 at 9pm. We're talking about Roger Moore as Bond. James Bond in The Spy Who Loved Me. I, I adore this movie. It's one of my, first of all, uh, Barbara Bark in Spy Who Loved Me is uh, one of my very favourite Bond girls, uh, which used to really irritate uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine when she saw me reading a book called you know, <laughs> Bond Girls, The Art of Bond Girls. And of course, that's the page I'm forever just happening to browse, browse past. And uh, yeah, so this is where Bond is uh, forced to team up with a Russian agent, Triple X, played by Barbara Bark. Uh, I think she's the wife of Ringo Starr, still in reality, I believe his Russian counterpart whose partner he has murdered on a you know as collateral damage on a previous operation and they go uh, in search of the latest madman who seeks to uh, seeks to take over the world this one's name is Drax and he wants to sink the world and have everyone live in I think hermetically sealed underwater bubbles and that's the evil scheme this time around his way of doing it is he's going to um, I think he's going to, to swallow British and Russian uh, uh, naval carriers make each one think that the other one has destroyed them and start a war. This plot would later get revisited in Tomorrow Never Dies, but done a bit less tongue-in-cheek, if we're being honest. Mm. In that case, Bond had to cheat, team up with his Chinese female counterpart rather than his Russian one. It's a classic, though. Yeah. It's, it's the one where he goes to Egypt and fights Jaws. It's also yeah. one of the only ones that acknowledges Bond's dead wife, actually, as well. Well, do you know what? I'm glad you enjoy it as much as you do, because I think a lot of people will revisit this and, and, mm. and you know, remind themselves just how good it is. So because it was when it came, it came out in 1977 was when it first came out. So, you know, in terms of stuff that just still live up to it, it's brilliant. But moving on to our final pick of the week. Um, I'm a fan. Van's not. It only leads me to think that Van is just a real scaredy cat for this. But um, if you're going to watch something on a Friday night, make it on BBC One at late night at 11.35pm because the Blair Witch Project is on our screens. Um, I like this or I love this because, you know, before all this stuff sort of branched off from the way that this filmmaking worked and all the spin-offs and like the same technique used, overused again and again and again, this is the OG, right? So the Blair Witch Project, this is the one handheld. People go into the woods to explore this kind of uh, urban legend of a witch, things, st weird stuff starts happening. It's iconic, you know? I don't necessarily remember everything that goes on in... In, in the movie but what I do remember is when it was first shown at Sundance or one of the major festivals the people literally ran out of the theatre 
watching this. I can imagine, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, even though I don't like the film, I do respect it for its, uh, its its inclusion in film history. Yeah. Although there had been found footage films before, Blair Witch is the first film that I think really showed that you could make something economically and just bo- box office-wise viable out of the found footage format and obviously gave rise to, God, dozens, hundreds, even thousands of films in the past two decades. So it's almost 25 years. I think it'll be 25 years in about another three years' time for Blair Witch. Um, a very, very important film, and I think one of the defining films of 1999, which is when it, when it came out. Uh, like I say, I wasn't a fan. I know some people, obviously, yeah, a lot of people are. Um, and obviously, it, it, it's one of those films that proved you, you don't need millions of dollars and the latest tech to make a film. You just need a good story. I'd argue Blair Witch doesn't have one of those, but uh, points for trying yeah and also you know this is a business of show right so the business side of this the biggest strength and triumph i think for this movie is the marketing that hit it isn't it still the most isn't it still the most successful independent film ever made like when quite possibly when just for inflation i think like it's the most profitable might be the most profitable film ever made i think yeah. just for inflation but this is a, a simple time when people didn't know if this was a film or a documentary. And for that reason, go into it thinking you're not sure what you're going to get out of it. Is it truth or is it fiction? Who knows? The Blair Witch Project, it's there for you. BBC One, 11.35pm on Sunday. Uh, Watch that and then um, you guys can be sort of teed up for the week ahead, feeling like you've had no sleep because you're so scared. Perfect end to the week. Welcome back for one last ride off screen and we're taking you down the virtual DVD and Blu-ray aisle where this week, you may have seen our our, our only edition because it's only ever like one film comes out every week now on DVD and Blu-ray. Kind of the, uh, one of those things, one of those uh, sad realities of life in COVID land. But this week, uh, the release is uh, Blythe Spirit, which you might remember we reviewed about six weeks ago, something like that. This was on... Uh, it went to Sky Cinema, I think, in the UK. It was main distributed by Pathé. Remake, uh, well, not remake, but just another adaptation of Noel Coward's you know, classic play. This one starred Leslie Mann and Dan Stevenson, Isla Fisher. He's the struggling writer whose dead wife uh, appears to him as a spirit, as his muse, and inspires him to, uh, to continue writing. But, of course, only he can see and hear her, and there's a screwball comedy. The light of which it's so old hat only Noel Coward could possibly have written them. The ghost of my first wife is here with us in the room. Surely you can see her. She's standing right next to you. Are you drunk? Who's she? My wife. I'm your wife. Not anymore. Can he by any chance touch her? I sincerely hope not. It's not a coincidence that you haven't published a word since my demise. Finish the first act of my screenplay. Elvira, help me. She's dangerous, Charles. You're the one I love. I haven't the foggiest idea how to send her back. You're in trouble now. (sighs) See, this would have taken loads of money in the cinema for the grey pound. Like... (laughs) It would have, wouldn't it, yeah. (laughs) Because obviously, like... Death on the Nile has been pushed back in like forever. Um, there's always something like this that I think works really well for that particular audience. So you've got to take it for what it is. It is something that appeals to a slightly older crowd. And 
I think it's got everything it needs. He's got the right cast, you know, Judy Dench is in there. Is Jennifer Saunders? No, Jennifer Saunders isn't in this, is she? It's got an all-star cast, this one. I mean, the thing about it now is releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray just feels almost perfunctory at this stage. So I think anyone who's going to see this will have seen it. Anyone who is generally inclined will have been able to watch it on the Sky Store or watch it on Sky Cinema because it premiered, I think, same day. Um, and they, they will, or they will have just, you know, gotten it digitally by now. Like it, it does mm. feel like a very perfunctory. This one is is being put out. Just I think take it off the list. I think more yeah. than else. The film is the film is fine. So like I say, really old hat. You've seen it done to death and really in other places. Paul Rudd did a version of this 15 years ago with Ava Longoria called Over Her Dead Body. Yes. But, uh, which I mean, and would I watch that one again? No, Over My Dead Body. But. <laughs> You know, it's it's one of the things we're going to keep doing this plot forever. Here's a version set in the Roaring Twenties with Dan Stevenson. Dan Stevenson. Dan Stevens. No, it's Dan Stevens. I thought you said that before. Dan Dan Stevens. There's a Steven in there. That's all I know. It's Downton, darling. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Tying it back to Downton. Let's go on to streaming then. On Prime, uh, Monday, same day the Blood Spirits out on uh, Duty and Blu-ray. You say or? Right. Here's my question, Bex. Right, we're talking about The Artist. The Artist is coming to uh, to Prime, Monday the 26th. This is, of course, going to be the day after, or canonically the day of, the Oscars. Mm. So, you know, you'll be able to wake up, hear what's won Best Picture, and you'll be able to stream the film that won Best Picture exactly 10 years ago. Because this one, Best Picture, was it 2011 or 2012? Wow. Christmas 2011 going into 2012. I've gone on record as saying that nobody has watched The Artist, nobody's even mentioned The Artist in the past decade. What a forgotten film. You're right. I hate to say it, you're absolutely right. I remember, I can't mm. believe it was a decade ago, but I remember watching this and being, and loving it, but you don't need to revisit it. It's you a one, you, it's you, like a one hit wonder. One and done, isn't it? Yeah, it's one and done. And But if you haven't watched it, it is still worth a watch. It's like, it's it, it's a bit like in some respects it's like Mank, right? So it's kind of this throwback to the golden age. But Mank's not going to pick up anything really at the Oscars. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? But because because for all we know at the time of recording this, like Mank very easily could. I have this horrible vision in my mind where in any normal year Mank would walk away. I almost said it with a W by accident. Then <laughs> Mank would walk away because I'm saying would walk away, and it's it's Mank. So obviously <laughs> phonetically, oh, that's going to oh. be so. You know that's going to happen live on Oscar. Wow, you know, uh, <laughs> Mank. Mank would walk away in any normal year with like best picture and then nobody would ever speak or hear of it ever again. Just like The Artist, which was a perfectly enjoyable film, but we all gave it to award and then moved on. That was it. We didn't, uh, Jean Desjardins, I think his name was, you yeah. know, he got his role in Wolf of Wall Street out of it and then at uh, the Monuments Men and then we never saw or heard from him again. That that's it, you know. That that that's. I can't even remember the name of of the female lead in that who looked strangely like uh, Rachel McAdams. But you know what? If you want a, a trip down memory lane, the artist is there on prime yeah. to revisit. You can, you can possibly see why it won Best Picture, or you can argue with it. Well, next up, um, released on Friday, in fact, is is a movie that I think hot off the heels of um, Bohemian Rhapsody. You would have expected mm. this one to have done the same sort of business and to be the big awards contender again. However, mm. Rocket Man, which is going to be available on Netflix, didn't really, despite Elton John and Taron Egerton's best like best efforts, 
pick up in the way that maybe they were hoping? You know why Rocketman didn't get awards, love? I'll tell you why. It's because its subject was alive. That's why. Mm. Because, ah, you see, if you want to win all the awards for your biopic, you've got to be dead. You can't be alive like Elton John. Elton yeah. John's just greedy, you see. Elton John wants his award, love, but he doesn't want to put in the work and be dead first. Oh, no, 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 he has to do a while. Anyway, I'm joking. Rocketman's a very fun, a lot more of a musical film than, than yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. It... Bohemian Rhapsody was more of a straight drama, more of a straight yeah. narrative drama. Reg, what you would call a quote-unquote normal film. This is more like a surrealist, heightened musical that, of course, does those great swinging set pieces, musical set pieces, that are you know anachronistic. They're not even done in order. So, for instance, he's singing Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting when he's depicting growing up in his hometown. And he's doing songs like I Want Love. This is Taron Egerton, you know, performing and doing the singing. Songs like I Want Love, you know, 20, 30 years before he even ever records that song. But it doesn't matter because that's not the crux of the story. It's all about the emotional journey here. And I would argue that winds up making this story a lot more successful than Bohemian Rhapsody, up to and including his relationship with Richard Madden's, Richard Madden's antagonistic friend turned enemy. What's this? Hmm? Number 11 in Italy. The song doesn't work. That's the problem. The record's coked out M.O.R. The problem is you have never understood me and what I have to go through. And you know what? I should have sacked you when you left me. I am glad I left you. It means I can maintain some objectivity on your self-indulgent myopic little world. Get in the studio and make some music or don't. I don't care. Well, you will when your money runs out. Do your worst. In fact, take me to court. You signed contracts with me years ago, so I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. I think the casting, Richard Madden and also Taron Egerton, is brilliant in this. It, I wasn't as massive a fan of Rocketman. I liked the linear narrative of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I wanted to learn about Elton and his life in this, and I think it took you too far to the far realms of his probably psychedelic version of life which didn't quite work in, in its favour for me. I mean, I quite like Jamie Bell as well in there. I thought Jamie mm. Bell had a, a, a quite a good role. He there. softened it. Lot, yeah, there's a lot of fun in, in the Elton John story. And I think uh, I was quite surprised, actually, that Elton John, knowing him as you know as a public persona that we do, I was surprised he was willing to you know go there as much as he does. He He's quite unflinching towards himself at times, in a manner that we were just talking earlier about how straight out of Compton you know, noticeably holds back at times. Elton John, surprisingly, doesn't. He's, he's quite mm. willing to depict his own bad behaviour. But uh, two other films we've got on streaming this week, um, which we're actually going to talk about as our new releases in next week, also on Friday the 30th. So Rocketman's on Netflix on Friday the 30th. On Prime the same day, we've got the much-delayed and almost forgotten about action movie Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, which stars Michael B. Jordan as uh, the character from uh, the character from you know the, the, the Jack Ryan movies, mm. his go-to character that he always turns to as his Navy SEAL uh, figure. This is his own solo movie, so this is going to be an attempt to start a spin-off franchise in the Jack Ryan universe out of Michael B. Jordan, and also Ooh. the same day on Disney Plus, not as a premium access one, but as a straight going to streaming. So for all subscribing. This is to push their new star tier. Disney Plus are adding 
what by then could very well be this year's best picture winner, it's Nomadland by Chloe Zhao and starring Francis McDormand. So that's going to be available to all Disney Plus subscribers on their Star Plus category from Friday the 30th as well. I'm very excited to see Nomadland. And I think I think Chloe Zhao, you know, at time of us recording this, we can make our predictions. She's mm. going to pick up the best director. And Do you, do the, you think so? I think so. And also, I'm going to see, I'd be really intrigued to see if she actually dresses up for the Oscars because she hasn't for anything else that she's been nominated for. So um, it'll be really interesting to see if she sticks to the dress code on that. But yeah, uh, my, my big hope is... Frances McDormand to pick up the Oscar for Best Actress as well as Chloe Zhao and maybe this to get the hat trick with Best Picture as well would be amazing. We shall find out though so by the time you uh, you hear from us next we will of course know who has won this year's I think it's the 93rd Academy Awards which is taking place mere days from now on Sunday the 25th. Uh, Bex and I will be covering it with Paul Ross on Talk Sports Extra Time uh, from 1am we're going to be covering it live on the night so please do tune in give us a listen uh you can find out the results from me as well on monday morning from 6 a.m gmt on the daily reel and of course bex and i will no doubt be dotted around british radio networks for the next few days afterwards giving our hot take on the results as we often do i usually manage about three or four hours sleep before the first one bex i know you're about about as bad as i for that yeah i am i'm just slowly cancelling everything else that i've got with uh, with my day on monday and uh, moving on to remind myself to actually get some sleep afterwards indeed, but indeed. it is it is the most fun time of the year for us film critics and we do love it dearly so yeah by the time we speak to you next we'll have all the results but for now this has been off screen for this week we're excited to bring you the new releases for next week so make sure you stay tuned to us every single friday but for now i've been bex perfect i've been van connor and we shall return <laughs> <laughs>